Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. If you were here last week, thank you so much for coming back. I hope we didn't scare everyone off. If this is your first week here, we're so glad you're here. As you can see, we're talking about love first, working towards racial unity. This is not something we have talked a lot about in the church. So we want to make this a safe place for you to ask questions, for you to say dumb things, as long as you're coming from a perspective of love. Um, but I'm going to be honest, today might not be the most uplifting, boy, I feel good about myself when you walk out of here kind of class. That's why there's cookies out here. <laughs> that's, that's our olive branch. Yeah. Please take some cookies on the way out if you didn't get some. Um, but we, we really believe this is something the church needs to be talking about. Um, and you may be wondering why us, you know, why two and a half white people here are talking about race to mostly white people. And we believe this problem of racial reconciliation will not be solved until people who look like us are willing to talk about it, are willing to have some uncomfortable com conversations, and really look at how we have played a role in allowing this problem to persist. So how did we get to the point where we want to get up here and talk about this? Um, if you didn't see the video, um, the promo video for the class, um, this is Eric, I'm Gina, the half is Evelyn. Um, and we really started to um, kind of think about this because we have nieces and nephews who are black. Um, and the events in Ferguson and the killing of Trayvon Martin brought it home for us that that could be them. And, and this is an outdated picture. This guy right here, he's 15. He's going to be driving around town in the evenings pretty soon. You know, so we, we definitely see him when we see people in the news. Um, so we started having conversations um, with our friends of color, with our brothers and sisters of color, and just asking them, are you concerned about this? I mean, is this, you know, is what we're hearing in the news, is this really your life? Um, and overwhelmingly, yes was the answer. Um, and so then we started reading more. We started researching, trying to figure out, okay, what can we do um, to protect these babies? Um, not only that, Eric has a brother who's a police officer. So we are in the not so unique position to be able to see both sides. Um, whenever someone says blue lives matter, we agree. I mean, I don't want to see him killed. However, there are also black police officers. And so when you say blue lives matter, they matter. And when you say black lives matter, they matter. Um, he matters. So we were put in this position of we see a police officer, we see our nieces and nephews. How do we reconcile our life how do we bring that to the church? How do we show you don't just have to be blue lives matter. You don't just have to be black lives matter. How do you bring that together? So that's a long-winded way of saying uh, we're here as teachers. We are not experts. We are not um, theologians. We don't have all the answers. But we hope by being here we can facilitate the discussion and move it forward.
so our goals for the class. Um, Baruch and Tony covered this last week, but we just wanted to go over it again. Um, love first. I mean, that's our first goal. Um, if someone could read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If someone has that on your Bible app. <laughs> or if you have an actual Bible. But. I see one or two. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever someone has it. Uh, 13, 1 through 3. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Thanks, Ginger. So, when we speak, if we don't do it in love, we're a clanging symbol. I want us to keep that image in our mind when we're talking about these things, that if you are coming from a place of defensiveness or you're uncomfortable and you want to strike back, if you aren't doing that in love, man, you're rock band. <laughs> and a terrible one at that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's keep that in mind. We want to come from a place of love. Uh, listen to understand, not to reply. Some things that are said in this class are going to make you uncomfortable. There is no getting around that because, like Eric said, we don't talk a lot about this in the church. We don't talk about how the whiteness of my skin gets me things. We don't talk about how Tony is a black man and he might on a Sunday morning be nervous if he gets pulled over. We don't talk about that. And so when people are talking about their lived experiences, we don't want to listen to just reply and say, well, what about we want to understand where Tony's coming from. And we can ask questions. We're not saying that. But if you're just coming to defend yourself or your whiteness, that's where we want you to stop <coughs> and think about who you're speaking to and come from a place of love. Um, explore why you're uncomfortable with what was said. You know, say, oh, why does that make me not feel good? What about that? is making me uncomfortable. Discomfort is where growth happens. When you start to explore, oh, why is this hitting me the wrong way? Why do I feel this way? Um, I mean, I do that when Eddie preaches and he starts talking about some sins that are applicable to me. Mm, Tony, get, or, um, Eddie, get off the stage. Man, I don't want you talking about something that I'm dealing with. Deal with someone else's problem. But it's in that discomfort that I start to realize, oh, this is a problem for me. This, this is something I need to work on. Um, James 1, 19 through 20 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I feel like sometimes we say, oh, well, then we shouldn't just be angry. No, it says human anger. If we get angry about the things that God gets angry about, that's something different than 
you know what, you just made me feel uncomfortable, and now I'm going to lash out at you. And that, I mean, that applies to everything, everything in our lives, not just racial reconciliation, but everything. And so we want to listen to understand, not to reply. Um, and then, we, like we said, we want you to ask questions. And these are to help us understand. You know, well, I don't, I don't understand why I can't say this, or I don't understand why you think this. You're coming from a place of understanding. You're not coming from a place of trying to defend yourself. Um, <laughs> express opinions if necessary. Um, a lot of times we come, I think, with, well, I heard this. Well, that may be true, but that isn't maybe necessarily true for someone of color. And so, when we ask questions to understand, I think sometimes that can dissipate our opinions. Uh, have grace for each other and for, or for each other and ourselves. Um, we have to be willing to be open, to build this trust here of, you know what, I don't understand LaDonna's life experience. I'm not a black woman. Um, and I know I'm going to say things that are probably going to be awkward. That might even hurt LaDonna. But I love LaDonna, and she loves me. And so she's going to extend me some grace. And she might tell me, hey, that wasn't a great thing to say. And I have to be like, OK, yeah, all right, I'll learn from that, that I shouldn't say that thing. Um, because her lived experience isn't my lived experience. And I can't tell her, you shouldn't feel that way. People do this all the time to me when they find out I'm adopted. Oh, you just should be so, you, I bet you feel so lucky. I do, but it's complex. There are things in there, you know, there's, there's pain, there's questions, there is joy, but you can't tell me, oh, well, don't feel the pain, just feel the joy. Okay, well, that's my lived experience, and so for you to tell me I shouldn't feel something, is to negate me and my experience. All right. I think this is you. So we wanted to kind of lead with a scripture for each uh, class. So the one we chose is... Revelation 7, 9, and that says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So, what does heaven look like here? What we'd like to see here. If you couldn't hear that, that was perfect. What we'd like to see here, because my follow-up question to that was going to be, what does Eastside look like? <coughs> Are, are we bringing people from every nation, tribe, people, and language and making them feel welcome and loved here? Um, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus talks about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of our job as Christians and as the church is to make the world look like heaven. And if this is what heaven looks like, then yeah, like Ted said, this is what each side should look like. So we also wanted to have a question. So this is not something that any of you brought up last week, but this is one that I have been thinking about for several years now. 
It was the summer of 2016, and I was in Oklahoma for a friend's wedding and staying with my younger brother, who is a police officer. And we were sitting out around the fire pit. You know, he was still in college, and someone brought up the election, wanted to talk about politics, and I, at the ripe old age of 30, was the elder sage of the group. <laughs> so we started talking about politics, and then it shifted to Black Lives Matter. And one of uh, my brother's roommates asked the question, well, they can vote, what more do they want? And after kind of that initial shock of you're kidding, right? I tried to break down how life in America is different for people of color than as a white person. And yes, you can vote, but can you walk into a grocery store and not be seen as a threat? Can you, you know, apply for a job and, you know, be qualified because of your name? Um, and what really struck me about this is this is someone who was about to graduate from a Christian university. So that tells me supposedly you're educated and have opened yourself up to new ideas and are willing to explore new ideas. And being a Christian, you would hope you'd be coming from a place of compassion and love. And I didn't see that. Um, I think this comment here, this question, was born out of ignorance. And I think a lot of people in the church are ignorant too. Um, and I, I say that to say, I know I was ignorant and I still am to a large degree. And that's part of what the goal of this class is. So we, uh, we can go here. So the Barna Group did a study uh, back in August of 2015 and um, they posed the question, there's a lot of anger and hostility between the different ethnic and racial groups in America today. 84% of people who responded strongly or somewhat agreed with this statement. So most people agree we have a problem. They also said racism is mostly a problem of the past, not the present. Only 7% strongly agreed across the board. But if you look at evangelicals, you're almost twice as likely to say, yes, there's a problem here, but that's in the past. And then the statement, Christian churches play an important role in racial reconciliation. 73% across the board agreed. And what really struck me with this is this number here with no faith. Even 53% of people with no faith agreed that the Christian church plays an important role. I see this as an opportunity. If we're not talking about this, we're missing out on the opportunity to show people love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <clears throat> so, how does this play out? One of the things we want to talk about today is implicit bias. Um, implicit bias uh, it really impacts how we treat people, and it may not even be things that we're aware of. Sometimes racism is blatant and just in your face. Sometimes it's less obvious. Um, LaDonna, when we were talking about this class, 
Uh, does everyone remember the story of the truck driver who crashed into a bunch of cars on I-70, people died, huge flame? Does everyone remember that? Well, Donna, you were talking to your coworkers, right? And the initial comments before everyone had the full story was... I mean, I heard people saying, you know, he must have fallen asleep at the wheel, had to have been a medical situation, uh, might have had a seizure. Um, they went on about what they perceived was the issue of why this truck driver caused this crash. And then when the news came out about the individual of a Hispanic background, their narrative changed by lunchtime, and it was, well, he probably got here legally. I don't know how he got here. Um, you know, they shouldn't be driving. He probably didn't even have a license. Their whole narrative changed by the afternoon once they saw the visual of who this person was and still didn't have the background understanding that um, this is an individual <laughs> from Texas who does carry a license to drive a class four truck, whatever that may be. Um, and so it was just kind of shocking to me to see that before the images came out, there's their only conceivable situation was he caused this accident because of a medical situation, fell asleep at the wheel, a seizure, the truck's brakes broke, something, but then once the narrative changed, you know, they saw the video. And, and that's a pretty common way for some of these implicit biases to play out is, if you look like me, think like me, talk like me, I'm going to extend you some amount of grace. But if I see you as different, you know, um, I don't like Oklahoma Sooners fans. I think they're obnoxious. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to extend them as much grace as, as I would someone who was wearing an Oregon Duck shirt. I'll be honest. So we're going to play a little game here um, to figure out um, some of this implicit bias. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to just make note. We're not going to make you talk out loud or answer, but just note who you instantly think of from these images when I ask you this question. Who is the CEO? Who is the astronaut? Who is the pastor? Who is the politician? Who is the nanny? Okay, you got it in your mind who you first thought of? So starting in the top left-hand corner, that is Dr. Bernard Harris. He is the first African-American to walk in space. He is the astronaut. Below him is Dr. Ken Fong. He is a pastor of the largest Baptist church in Los Angeles. In the middle is Claudia Kaufman. She is the first Native American woman to be elected to the Washington State Senate. In the top right is Beth Ford. She is the first openly gay female CEO to lead a Fortune 500 company. And in the bottom is Liam Willett. He is the male nanny. <laughs> Yes. So often when people talk about things, we are so preconditioned because of our biases to instantly see things. So when someone talks about a doctor, 20 years ago, you were thinking of a white male. To see a, a female doctor or a doctor of color, that would not have entered your mind. Um, when you talk about astronauts, probably a white male, maybe a white female, you know, after uh, the mid-1980s, 
but I would guarantee most of you didn't think that the black man was the astronaut. The same across the board. I mean, whenever we talk about things, unless it fits what we've been conditioned to think, I tried really hard to uh, find other images and it just didn't work, but like when you think about maids, who is the first group of people you think about being maids? When you think about day laborers, who is the first group you think about? We've been conditioned. It's not necessarily bad. I mean, it's just all around us, and we're going to talk about this. Um, but this is something that we need to be aware of. Look, our brains are naturally lazy. And so if we just, if we get paths, so we learn how to think about things and process them, then we just stick with the same things. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, it tends to... Like you said, if we're kind of lazy and we're not really educating ourselves and we're just listening to one thing, whether that be a newspaper, a news station, your neighbor, your, your dad. Your Facebook feed. Yeah. If, if you're only listening to that, then yes, when you hear stories about the truck driver who got into an accident and you hear, oh, he was Hispanic, oh, that totally fits what I'm thinking in my mind. And it's not... It's not necessarily a bad thing for us because it's, it's been from birth that we've been conditioned to see these things, to hear these things. The challenge is knowing it and starting to combat that. Would it be to realize what anything that I know about comes from my experience? So my humility, if I've never lived in the Bronx or lived in a, in a black neighborhood, I do not have the experience. And so how can... But I, t I tend to think what I know must be a basis. So to realize mm -hmm. every one of us is limited. We need light more than we need electricity. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Baruch talked about last week of your perspective is one point. You know, we look at this chair here. I'm seeing it from one angle. You're seeing it from a completely different angle. So how can I possibly see things unless I'm willing to go over to your position and take a look at it from here and say, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Nobody sat in that chair. <laughs> no, no one was brave enough. That, that wasn't even going to be an illustration. I just... <laughs> so a, a slightly, on a slightly lighter note, another game that I like to play instead of looking at implicit biases, hipster or Civil War reenactor? <laughs> I have no idea. It's so hard. <laughs> so implicit bias we've kind of talked about what that is um, from birth we are conditioned by everything around us by the shows that are on TV by the movies that are made by things that our parents teach us by the books that we read um, magazines newspapers um, textbooks I could get on my soapbox for 30 minutes and talk about textbooks and the bias that is in them and how that is shaping generations of Americans to think one way. But I won't because we have other things to talk about. Um, it's all around us and so it's not necessarily bad, it's just how we live. It's how how everyone in the world lives. You are conditioned to biases no matter where you live. Um, so how can you learn about your bias? Um, implicit bias tests. Um, 
So Harvard um, put together quite a few. Um, and these tests aren't to tell you if you're racist. It's to tell you what are the subconscious <laughs> things that I don't even know I'm aware that I think. Um, so they're tools to help you acknowledge, oh, you know what? I might have a problem with Asian women drivers. I might have a problem with older people. I might have a problem with younger people. I might have a problem with black people. I might have a problem with native people. Um, and it's all subconscious. It's not really something you recognize until someone calls you out on it. That, oh, oh, maybe, oh, maybe, I, maybe I do clutch my purse a little tighter when a big black man walks past me. Things like that that we just don't even realize until someone points it out to us. Um, like Eddie talked about last week, Jesus made it about the person. He didn't make it about the issue. So when we talk about immigration, we're talking about Brenda. We're talking about Umoyo. We're talking about people who are going through this process. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about Tony. We're talking about LaDonna. We're talking about KB. We're talking about people we know, people here that we love. So it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm not going to put Tony in that box of Black Lives Matter because I don't see him that way. But everyone else who looks like him, I'm going to do that. And that's part of our bias of, I don't see Tony that way, so I'm not going to categorize him that way. But when you're saying that we put him in the box, are you not then putting us in a box because you say we're thinking like that? So <coughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know how you think. I'm not going to pretend to know your biases. What we're saying is biases exist. Um, for me, you know, I'm an engineer. I look around and it's a bunch of white guys. So the things I can think about is, okay, when I'm hiring someone, do I have an automatic preference for the white person? And what, what we're trying to avoid in this <coughs> class is, oh, well, they do this. You people do this. We're coming at this from, here's what we've been dealing with, here's what we've been talking about, this is as much a problem in my life. And if it is for me, I have a feeling it is for a lot of you. It might not be true for you, I don't know. But let's take time to think and reflect of, has this played out in my life? Why is it that we say, well, I'm going to give Tony past because I know him, but I'm going to think about everybody, everybody else of color in a specific way, or I'm going to give, you know, the, my housekeeper who's of Mexican descent, I'm, I know her, so I'm going to give her a pass, but all other Mexicans are either illegal or they're, you know, why is it that we don't look at the whole and give all of them a pass, and then the ones that are the Air at the, you know, the ones that are doing the wrong things, we focus on that being the problem, that one specific person, that too. It seems like we want to say, well, I'm, I'm good because I, I have a black friend, you know? <laughs> and so I, I'm good, even if I say horrible things about the rest of the black community, and even if I have a bias. So we need to change our thinking so that 
all of the people are our friends, and it's only the people that are doing bad things that we have a problem with. Mm -hmm. So, I don't understand why the inappropriate response isn't all lives matter. Go. No, you go ahead. Okay. The, the best analogy I've heard for this, uh, and, and let me start by saying, no one I have talked to has said, the Black Lives Matter movement is not to say all lives don't matter. Um, we were just with our dear friends, the Farleys, a couple weeks ago. Her dad was a police officer for a long time. So there, there's so many layers to that. But Eric, I don't know if everybody knows Suze Kershawn Pollard. They're, they're an African-American family, five kids. They were here for about two years, um, now live in, in Charlotte. Um, but yeah, her dad was a black policeman. So um, to say, you know, no, black lives don't matter, blue lives matter, or all lives matter. Well, he's a black policeman. So <laughs> they're not at odds. But the all lives matter <coughs> comment, I believe, and, and this is just my opinion, um, is a way of minimizing someone else's pain um, and saying, okay, you might be hurting, but I'm just as important. And, and saying things like that is putting our needs, including our need to feel like a good person, ahead of someone else's pain. Um, I'll say that again. That is putting our needs, including my need to feel like a good person ahead of someone else. The analogy that I've heard is if a house is on fire, the firemen don't run in and spray the entire neighborhood because all houses matter. They spray the one house that's on fire. And historically, and even up to this day in America, it's been the black house. It's been the immigrant house. It's been, you know, it's, I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's not the White House that's been on fire in America. We'll, we'll talk about that more in another class. But that's really where it's coming from of, yes, all lives matter. I don't, I've not heard someone who has disagreed with that. But let's not minimize someone else's pain and say, well, I've got struggles too, you know. My coffee was wrong when I ordered at Starbucks today, you know. And I think, I think a good visual for that is um, the shooter in South Carolina when he walked into the church. When the officers got there, one, he was taken alive. Then on the way to the police station, they stopped at Wendy's to get him food. He just killed 13 people, and they stopped to get him food. What black man one, has been taken alive in a situation like that, and two, then stopped to got food for. So I think that's an illustration of when people are saying black lives matter. Yes, those people did horrible things, but white men who have done this seem to somehow always end up alive and somehow get food on the way to prison. And so... <coughs> For me, I think about that when people respond, well, all lives matter. Well, yes, they do. But when a white man kills 13 people and gets Wendy's on the way, I have a problem with that. 
And I, that's when I want to say, yeah, they do. But when a group of people doesn't get afforded the same privileges, that's when the problem happens. I was just going to say, and I apologize if I start coughing. I'm still dealing with allergies. <coughs> um, I think throughout history, it's been great. I've, it's been great to see that when certain movements started up, my mom would always say, why did they start? You go back to the center, you go back to civil rights, you can go back even farther. But when movements spring up and a minority group wants to have a voice to say, hey, there's something going on in our community, we want to stand up for what don't think is right. Um, those, those movements started because they wanted to have a voice. So I've had people come to me saying, well, Donna, you know, you're a black woman, and do you, do you also believe all lives matter? And I said, well, first off, I'm looking at it from a, a Christian perspective. God created all. So I know all lives matter. Um, but I also know why the movement started because of the oppression in the black community. Um, you know, I think about, I used to be part of a, a breast cancer network group, and I would always go to the Susan G. Komen <coughs> Breast Cancer March and do the walk and the hike every year and wear my pink and show pride for all those that were lost in my family for cancer. And one year I had someone come to me and say, well, don't you care about prostate health and don't you care about this and MS and don't you care about this? And it was like, okay, yes, indeed, I do. But from my perspective, I am with a group of people that want to have a voice to say, hey, hear us, you know, lawmakers, make more changes for breast cancer awareness, make more changes, and we're fighting for those that have fought or lost the battle of cancer. So that's kind of the narrative I look at it. I think all lives matter, of course, and I think when it comes to the example I just gave about cancer and disease, of course I hope all these diseases get lost, but the one that I was uh, connected to because of loss of grandma, loss of mother, um, and other family members was I was part of the breast cancer movement. And so that's just kind of an example that I wanted to bring up as well. Mm, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So, I do one other thing. I would challenge us all to remember that most of the time with these issues, it's white males who are making the rules. Mm -hmm. All of you women in here, it was 100 years ago next year that women got the right to vote. White women. White women couldn't even vote until 1920. Black women couldn't even vote till 1965. This is just a series. This is just a series of issues that have gone on where different groups have had to fight for their rights because wealth and power and generally white maleness have dominated the culture in this country and in most countries for most of history. That's just the way it is. And so remember that. It's not just about blacks or the Irish or Hispanics or the Italians once upon a time, all of these groups, the American Indians, all of these groups were severely and horribly uh, prejudiced against and oppressed. And they've all had to fight one at a time. This one's still going on. Black lives, Hispanic lives. I'm Hispanic. I don't look it, but I speak Spanish, and I see what other folks have to go through, you know? Um, and, and I think for Hispanics, it's more about the language thing. You know, they speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just, just remember that. And I think, so coming back to bias, I mean, 
uh, the Gazette just had an article this last week about military discipline. Um, blacks and Hispanics are twice as likely to be court-martialed in the military. And the only thing that they can attribute that to is bias in leadership. That most of the leaders in the military are white, males. And for whatever reason, bias is playing out in blacks and Hispanics being twice as likely to be disciplined and court-martialed and found guilty. I mean, that's a huge number. And when you're talking about um, that. And uh, Austin Channing Brown, she's an author. Her name is Austin. She's a black woman. Her parents intentionally named her Austin so that she would have an easier time when she was an adult getting a job. And it's true. I, in her book, she talks about she got interviews, but you could see the shock on the interviewers' faces when a black woman walked in instead of a white man. And she said, usually I would get the job because I was the m most well-qualified applicant. But had I had a name like Lakeisha, LaDonna, Shaniqua, I wouldn't have gotten that interview. And that's all just a part of bias. I mean, if a white woman is hiring and she sees Shaniqua is coming in for a job and Gina, I might be more inclined to like Gina because she looks like me than Shaniqua. And then, I mean, this is how bias plays out. And it's not even something I think we realize until it's been pointed out to us. Um, and inheriting bias, it's, that's inevitable. But holding on to it once you've been made aware, that's a choice. Um, I was raised in a very biased family and location. No blacks in the town. But Italians were not accepted. And one of my Italian relatives had to sit at the back of the bus because she had kinky hair. But so right now I'm reading Dred Scott it, and, and Uncle Tom's Cabin, and it is so sad. I almost want to put it down, but you're saying holding on to it is a choice. <laughs> so finishing these books is very enlightening mm -hmm. because they were so mistreated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so a group called, oh, where's a minute? Uh, thank you. Where Change Started put together this four stages of anti-racism. Um, so specifically talking about bias you have against people of color. Um, the first step is awareness. That's kind of what we're doing in this class, right? We're making you aware of problems. We're learning that injustice is happening. Um, since the panel on Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday, you know, we've been talking about this. We brought in Don McLaughlin. Um, but just becoming aware doesn't make you anti-racist. Um, what's that verse that, you know, you came, or someone came to me and I just say to you, be well, be fed, and I do nothing? That's kind of what this is. You may be aware, but if you're not doing anything about it, what good is it? Um, the second step, education. Again, this is kind of what this class is doing. This is the point where you begin to explore. You start reading books. You start listening to people who don't look like you. You start listening to podcasts, webinars, um, reading authors of color, things like that. Um, this is an intentional step. This doesn't just happen. You don't just happen to pick up a book by a black author and start reading it. 
you don't just happen upon a podcast and about race. This is something that's, oh, I'm seeking this out. I'm wanting to learn more about this. Um, David, if I were to ask you about becoming a realtor, and that's all I did, could I become a realtor? Um, <laughs> so questions and dialogue would be a good, very small start. Uh, but there are hundreds of technical topics with a lot of math, which is why someone doesn't help me. <laughs> and, and then literally thousands of hours of on-the-job training. And probably the biggest thing <clears throat> as I work with newer realtors and so forth, it's not like you see on TV at all, <clears throat> which then reminds me that if the real estate industry is not at all like you see on TV, then the lives of immigrants and single moms and certain social classes and so forth, TV is not portraying anything as it really is. And so if I grew up with a certain mindset and now I've replaced that with TV thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, I've made the transition. <laughs> I have. I need to find out, you know, what Tony's life is really like, or mm -hmm. something, and and not just take the the easy lazy brain answer of, oh yeah, TV move, yeah yeah I know what that, I, I got that. So a, a quick note about that. One of the takeaways from the panel for Martin Luther King, uh, Jr. Sunday, whatever, um, was you know. Talk to people who are different, get to know them, hear their stories. That said, it's not their job to teach you. This is on us. You know, if you have a bias, let, let's explore that. If, if you're uneducated, explore that. Tony, yes, he's a black man. He's also in IT. He's also a dad. He's also a Colorado Buffs fan. Um, there, there's so many different layers, and he is one man. So you can't hope to understand everything about immigration by only talking to Brenda, get a large variety of voices. Mm -hmm. um, so now what? Um, th this is kind of what we're hoping we can go through as we, as we work through this class and, and things that we've been working on. Let's understand our implicit biases and how that affects the way I treat people. Let's understand how that could possibly become a stumbling block that keeps people from knowing Jesus. I love this quote here from Voltaire back in the French Revolution. Is it any wonder that there are so many atheists in the world when the church behaves so abominably? You know, are, is what we're doing keeping people away from Jesus? And then taking that step to become an advocate for those who are less privileged than me. Um, ben Franklin said, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Um, so your homework for the week, <laughs> Google implicit bias, Harvard implicit bias. I mean, there's a bunch out there. It's implicit associations. Yeah. Uh -huh. Or just Google yes. project implicit, and they've got all these tests. Yeah, that... take the tests. I, they take about 10 minutes each, I think, and they have a whole bunch, like I said. Um, do you, young, old bias, um, weapons bias, Native American bias, overweight bias. Um, so it covers a lot of things, but I would challenge you to do that this week to start learning about maybe I, m maybe I do maybe have a problem with Native Americans or maybe I do have something like, oh, 
maybe I do have this bias. Um, because that's how we're going to move forward in this conversation is acknowledging. And like Eric said, we are right here. I mean, we're, Nora thought we were preaching this morning. Um, we did a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, but we're, we are talking to ourselves just as much. Be, and this is a lifelong thing. It, it kind of bugs me that I can't just t check the box like, okay, yeah, I'm, I know this. I've done all these things. Now I'm good. This is a lifelong thing that I'm going to have to always be aware of, that I need to work towards dismantling that bias. Grace Bible Church is probably right at the door. So, Ted, would you mind just closing us in a quick prayer? Gracious Lord, I, I ask you to be with us all. Father, we're talking about things of such importance in this world and in our lives and especially, Father, in the life of this church. Father, I pray that you will, you will touch each heart and each person reach down inside themselves and, and see their, their own issues and their own problems and that how, it can be, how their, uh, their biases towards others. Father, help us to look like that community that is shown us in uh, Revelation. Help us, Father, to, to see past personal looks and see into the lives and to see into the, into the spirit of a person. Bless us, Father, and guide us this week as we uh, go about our daily activities and help us to focus on what we need to be focusing on. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.